Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Before we begin, here's a special code that gets you a discount subscription to New Scientist. The code is POD20. Go to newscientist.com slash POD20 to subscribe and you get all the contents of the magazine plus audio versions of the stories to listen to on the app. Newscientist.com slash pod20 gets you the 20% discount. Hello, welcome to New Scientist Weekly, where we enjoy chewing up all the stuff in the world of science. I'm your host, Rowan Hooper. And I'm your other host, Penny Sarchet. This week, we're also joined by New Scientist reporters Claire Wilson and Michael LePage. Hello, both. Hello. Hello. So, what are we talking about in today's show, Rowan? Yeah, well, we've got a story on how chemicals that we secrete could change the behaviour of people around us. And we've got new information on the origin of coronavirus. And uh, Michael's going to tell us about its current evolution. We're also going to be looking at some asteroids and a mission to deflect one with a rocket. And we report on a very cool new way to make plastic without having to use fossil fuels. And it is actually literally a cool way to make them using low temperatures. But we're going to start with a story on one of our favourite intracellular organelles. Well, I should say, actually, let's not make any assumptions. Does everyone have a favourite organelle? Yes, of course. We we are the kind of people who have (laughs) favourite intracellular organelles. I'm going to guess yours is a chloroplast. Is is that right? Yes, I suppose that's fair. Um, uh, Where would we be without plants being able to photosynthesise? Uh, well, mine, I'm going to go for the obvious one, the other, obvious other one, the mitochondrion, which, uh, you know, is the major vital component of, of all complex cells. Michael, I know you like mitochondria too. Yeah, they are absolutely fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about the endoplasmic reticulum? Anyone going to go for that, Claire? <laughs> Goldy body? I think you're all being very silly because the oh. best intra- intracellular organelle is obviously the nucleus, uh, which contains yeah. all our DNA. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll have to grudgingly give you that. Sorry for being so silly. Um, <laughs> let's get on yeah. with it, shall we? Yeah. So in any case, um, this story is about mitochondria and how we can boost their activity in the retina to improve eyesight. So Claire, you've been working on this. Yes, this is a strange one. Um, it seems that shining a special wavelength of red light into to people's eyes boosts their eyesight at least by a, a small amount. So is this on people who already have poor vision or does it boost normal vision even more and uh, how's it supposed to work anyway? Okay well they, they, in this particular study they were looking at people who had um, fairly normal vision although they did choose older people because vision does naturally decline with age so they were they were trying to see if they could uh, bring it back more to the levels of a of younger people. Um, so how how does it work? Well, it seems that if you shine a certain wavelength of red light onto cells, it boosts activity in their mitochondria. 
it all sounds quite far-fetched, doesn't it? I, I, yes, I, I give you that. It does sound strange. But there, there's actually um, a really long history of research in this area to back it up. Experiments on cells and on animals shows it, it definitely does happen. The question is whether the effect is strong enough to have a, a beneficial impact on the human body. So this latest study that I have been writing about this week, it is still quite early stage work. So I think the jury is still out on whether it does have an impact on people's eyesight. But the, the science on, uh, uh, on the effect on the mitochondria, it does seem solid. So um, how does this red light boost mitochondria? <laughs> yeah, that, this is the cool bit. Um, so the main thing that mitochondria do for us is they manufacture a small molecule called ATP that stores energy. And it, it acts as an energy source for nearly every chemical reaction in the body that requires energy. Now, mitochondria make ATP uh, through an enzyme called ATP synthase. And this is actually in the form of a molecule that the part of it rotates a bit like a watermill. Now, when this special wavelength of red light hits water molecules, they absorb energy and this makes the water less viscous, more runny. And so the mill can turn more easily through the water. And one of the researchers put it in a really nice way. He said, if you heat up jam, if you imagine heating up a, a saucepan of jam, it would make it easier to stir. So this that's why this chemical reaction, which is the basis for en energy production in every cell in our body, happens more efficiently if it gets hit by this special wavelength of red light. I'm really amazed by this. I, lo I love mitochondria anyway, because, you know, they're so such intricate piece of cellular machinery. And, you know, the thing is, they used to be free living bacteria, as you know, um, in ancient history of the planet, billions of years ago, and they were absorbed into, the, you know, the ancestors of our cells. But then, you know, we're learning more about them. And another piece in your story that jumped out at me was that in fruit flies, we know apparently that mitochondria make more ATP in the mornings. So they're morning people. Yes, and there's no reason to think that only applies to fruit flies. That was yeah. just the first animal they tested it on. Yeah, I, spoke, I actually spoke to Nick Lane at um, University College London about this because, you know, he's the guru when it comes to mitochondria. And he said, yeah, their uh, mitochondrial activity is probably linked to circadian rhythms. And another piece I didn't know from until I read your piece was that retinal cells have the most mitochondrial activity of all cells in the body. Yeah, I guess I probably would have guessed muscles or something. But yeah. I, I guess when you think about it, our retinas are working really hard all the time, aren't they? So I suppose it makes sense, too, that if you then boost the activity of, of the mitochondria in our retina, this would enhance our vision or improve it. And potentially that could be really important for a range of eye diseases that are actually caused by problems with the mitochondria. Yeah, so it, yeah, because sight loss is one of the most common mitochondrial conditions and it often occurs before muscular degeneration. So maybe if something's wrong, wrong with your mitochondria, you notice it in the eyes first. Yes, and some groups, some other groups are looking at using this in uh, conditions of eyesight loss. Um, anyway, this latest study is a small one, as I say, so it does need, you know, repeating in much larger groups of people, but it I think it's really intriguing. Oh, and uh, um, I've just got to tell you one more great factoid that I discovered when looking into this. The same group that did this latest work has also found that red light irradiation can protect bees that have been exposed to the neonicotinoid insecticide wow. because they, they damage mitochondria. So the, the researchers are proposing that beekeepers put lamps inside their hives. <laughs> wow. 
Amazing. Now, next up, we thought we would rename our climate hope or doom segment. Yes, uh, hope and doom both abound when we talk about climate change, um, but so do the potential solutions that could actually help us tackle the climate crisis. So we want to reflect that. Yeah, of course, we're going to continue to cover climate impacts and modelling and all of that stuff. But yeah, like offering solutions and publicising all the amazing work that's being done around the world, that's, that's so important for our well-being, if nothing else. And uh, we have impeccable timing with this because there was a poll just out in the UK this week. You probably saw this, Penny mm. um, and Michael, showing that the worry and concern about climate change is now the biggest issue for the British public. And that's got its highest ever score on a poll. 40% of people say it's the top issue above COVID, Brexit, the NHS or the economy. Yeah, and it was quite surprising for some people, wasn't it, that even among the more the, the older age groups, it was still the, the top issue. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Um, so yes, this is our climate solution segment. And what is it going to be this week? Oh, this is a way of making plastic from DNA and vegetable oil. So effectively, it's sustainable plastic. Very nice. Yes, yeah. because plastics are bad in multiple ways. So of course, there's all the pollution they cause when they're discarded, but they're also very energy intensive to make and they're made from non-renewable petrochemicals. Yeah, I mean, they're part of our addiction to fossil fuels. We use 5 billion gallons of oil a year to make 300 million tonnes of plastic. But obviously, plastic is is super useful and we totally rely on it and we need it, but we need to make it from different sources. So this story is about a team at Tianjin University in China, and they've developed a plastic made by linking like short strands of DNA with a chemical derived from vegetable oil. And it produces like a soft gel like material, which then you can make into mold, put into molds and shape. And then you solidify it using a basically freeze drying process that sucks water out of the gel at low temperatures. I was really excited to hear about this, actually, because um, we've, we're seeing more and more alternative plastics coming through that are derived from plant sources like cornstarch and seaweed. And they're, you know, if they're treated the right way, they're biodegradable, which in, in theory is a good thing. But there's still quite a few problems with them. So they can be really in energy intensive to make still and they are hard to recycle. So this synthetic DNA um, that they're using to make this plastic, that's a cool idea. Is it is it real? Where are they getting the DNA from? Oh, no, yeah, it's not synthetic DNA. It's real. They use salmon sperm to get the DNA from. Don't <laughs> ask me why they use salmon sperm. Uh, but they say the DNA could be used from renewable sources like crop waste or algae or bacteria and just harvested from that. So, yeah, and it can be broken down using DNA digesting enzymes if it's no longer needed. And because the the production of this DNA plastic doesn't require hot temperatures, it results in 97% less carbon emissions, they say, than polystyrene plastic. That's just brilliant, isn't it? So is there a catch? <laughs> yeah, well, there is a catch. It's not as strong as traditional petrochemical plastics, um, and it has to stay dry to stop it from mm. turning back into a gel. But, you know, there are lots of things like um, packaging materials, electronic devices that stay dry, so we could use it for that. And Michael, um, while we're on plastics, there has been talk of using plastics as a way to, to store carbon, hasn't there? What do you make of that? Yes, the idea is that if you make plastic from plants, it's a way to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. But I think at the moment, it's a, it's a terrible idea because we don't have farmland to spare. We're already cutting down forests to get more land to grow food. And as Penny alluded to, some studies suggest that actually 
emissions from making bioplastic can be even higher than biofuels. That's why this uh, new method is is so promising. But there are also lots of teams working on ways to turn carbon dioxide and energy directly into plastic. And that's obviously going to be by far the best way to go. And on the subject of bioplastics, I saw one researcher working on this at the University of Sheffield called P-Styring. Guess what the P stands for? Not Polly. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's not Polly. It's Peter. Peter Styring. He should change his name. (laughs) Missed opportunity. Time out. It's time for us to tell you about our sponsor, Brilliant. Brilliant has an amazing library of interactive courses that cover topics ranging from the basics of scientific thinking all the way up to stuff like astrophysics. If our story about climate solutions has inspired you, then why not learn about one of the most widely used solutions in the world, solar energy? Brilliant has a fantastic course that explores how exactly we're able to harvest sunlight using photovoltaic cells and some amazing feats of science and engineering. And also coming up later, we're talking about NASA's DART mission, which hopes to deflect an asteroid. So if you'd like to find out about how a rocket engine works and how it's able to get into space, then check out Brilliant's course on classical mechanics. Brilliant is a fun way to learn real problem solving by doing it yourself. Whether you're a beginner or advanced, you can get started learning on Brilliant today for free. And better still, the first 200 listeners to sign up using our special link will get 20% off unlimited access to all the courses on Brilliant for a whole year. That link is brilliant.org slash new scientist. That's brilliant.org slash new scientist. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And now it's coronavirus update time. Um, Michael, you've been looking both at where the virus came from and also where it's heading. That's right. I've been talking to the people who are tracking emerging new variants and also to a researcher called Michael Warraby, who's just published an analysis of the earliest COVID cases that we know about. And his conclusion is that the animal market in Wuhan is the most likely source after all. Right. So we're back to the original idea that that it's from the, the market rather than coming from a lab. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people want to believe in this lab origin hypothesis, but it's never been very likely. So just to backtrack a bit, we we know that SARS-CoV-2 originated in bats because we found very similar viruses in bats. So the big question is, how did it get from bats to people? Uh, A few people have claimed that the virus has features that mean it's made in a lab, but most scientists have never agreed with that. And we've now found very closely related viruses in wild bats in Laos, with those features which could supposedly only come from a lab. 
So that means there's basically no evidence for the lab hypothesis. Uh, we can't rule it out, but it's not looking likely at all. I'd, I'd sort of take the argument that it had to be considered, but to me, it's just never seemed the, the simplest or most likely explanation. So it's, it's interesting to hear where we're at with that now. And and so this does seem to take us back to that first idea that it emerged at the Huanan market in Wuhan. Yes, I mean, obviously, there are lots of potential routes for the virus to get into animals that could infect people. But the reason the market was seen as a potential source right from the start is that it housed live animals and the early cases were all clustered around it. So what changed? Because, you know, we had those various stories saying it wasn't the source. So what happened? Well, there were, there were basically reports that there were earlier cases that were not linked to the market. And so the most authoritative report on this was from the World Health Organization, where a team went out to China and, and talked to people. And according to that report, the earliest COVID case we know about was in a 41-year-old accountant who became ill on 8 December. And this accountant had no known connection with the market. But this analysis by Warabi, he's pointed out that actually the media reports and medical records show that this accountant, he went to the hospital on 8 December with a dental problem, and he didn't actually develop COVID symptoms until the 16th of December. This is so interesting to hear, because all along we've heard about this, this one case that doesn't seem to be connected to the market and was probably the earliest. But now it's looking like this man wasn't the earliest case after all. Exactly. And that means that the first case we know about was actually a seafood vendor at the market who became ill on the 10th of December. And so that puts the market right back in contention. And and Warabi describes various other lines of evidence too. So for instance, not only he says not only were many of the early cases linked to the market, they were specifically linked to the western part of the market, which is where live animals such as raccoon dogs were kept. Other studies have shown that raccoon dogs can be infected by SARS-CoV-2 but show very few symptoms. So that means this is a virus could spread among animals like that with without being detected. Hmm. So th- this evidence, it's still sort of circumstantial, isn't it? So I guess I'm wondering, is this as confident as we're ever likely to get in terms of knowing how and where the pandemic started? Well, I, I think I think we may never find the smoking gun and people are going to be arguing about this for, for decades to come. Because if, if it was raccoon dogs carrying the virus, we just, we're never going to be able to to prove that because uh, you know that they recovered from the infection without leaving any any signs. So then what about the future? You've also been looking at how the virus has been evolving recently, haven't you? Yes. So the big picture is that the highly transmissible Delta variant has been spreading to just about every part of the world and it's it's been causing a surge in cases wherever it goes. So we've actually seen some countries with low vaccination rates including some in Eastern Europe have had the highest ever numbers not only of cases, but also of deaths since the pandemic began, which is it's obviously really terrible to be happening at this stage. The thing is, Delta is competing just about all the other older variants and, and driving them to extinction. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, in a, in a short term, it, it's kind of a good thing because it means the pace of viral evolution has slowed. Um, basically, evolution depends on diversity. And by wiping out these other viruses, Delta's wiping out a lot of diversity and so there's there's less around for natural selection to act on but it's it's just a short-term effect because delta itself is now spawning lots of variants and generating lots of new diversity and so we're going to start to see potentially more dangerous variants emerging in a, in a not too distant future right so that would be a variant of the variant that we've got to look forward to Exactly. Uh, and so there's already one offshoot of Delta that's called AY42, 
that seems to be slightly more transmissible. So it's it's growing in the UK and now accounts for 15% of cases. But the, the good news is it doesn't seem to be any better at evading immunity or to cause more severe disease. Okay. And so we expect then that all the non-Delta variants are just going to kind of go extinct. That's what most of the researchers think is, is, the, is the most likely scenario. But we have actually, we spotted not just one, but two new variants now that seem to have originated in Africa. So there's been very little sequencing there. And it seems that there have been some variants evading unseen that have acquired a lot of mutations and, and a lot of potentially concerning mutations that could help them evade immunity. But as far as we know, they're not more transmissible. So they still might not be able to compete with Delta. So we just have to wait and see. I think they'll probably be wiped out of our Delta, but we, we can't be sure at this stage. Right, let's have some asteroid news. Oh, what kind of asteroid news? There isn't one headed for Earth right now, is there? (laughs) No, uh, but a mission launched this week, the NASA DART mission, is aimed at smashing into the asteroid Dimorphos. Um, And the idea there is to see how we might be able to deflect an asteroid that is hurtling towards us. Ah, yes, uh, the DART mission. I have to say, um, applause for this acronym because I think it actually works. The the DART mission stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's aiming at Dimorphos and that's 11 million kilometres away from Earth. And the plan is to get there in about a year's time. Uh, It'll be going at 6.6 kilometres per second then and smash into it. And do we think that will be enough to deflect it? Um, So what what it turns out is that Dimorphos is... It's an asteroid, but it's a tiny moon of another asteroid called Didymus, uh, which means people are calling it Diddy Moon. Uh, (laughs) Yes. So the idea is to smash into it and change its orbit, just nudge its orbit a bit, and that will shorten its orbit by about 10 minutes. And uh, it's just to demonstrate that the trajectory of the asteroid can be changed just by smashing into it. So I guess that might not be much, but if something is found a long way away heading for us, we'd only need to... to deflect it by a small amount to actually make sure that it missed us. Yeah, exactly. That's the plan. Um, So although astronomers, you know, we don't know of any asteroids that are posing a a real significant threat to Earth, but we've only found about 40% of the big near-Earth asteroids more than 140 metres across. So if we do find one, um, this DART mission will help develop a plan that might allow us to, to knock it off course. Now, it's definitely something we do need to prepare for because, you know, the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs, that's, that only happens every 15 million years or so. But asteroids big enough to wipe out entire cities do come down every 100 years or so. Mm, so good to have a plan then. Yeah, yeah. And more asteroid news just to get in here. Astronomers have discovered that Earth has a, a, a partner asteroid basically in orbit with us. And these are things called Trojan asteroids, which is a lovely name for them. They're asteroids that share the orbit of a planet or moon and they move along the same path just in front of the larger body or behind it uh, in locations called Lagrange points. And the astronomer who confirmed the presence of this Trojan in our orbit says the orbit is like slightly oval shaped with a little wobble. So he says, if you imagine it's like a racetrack, Earth is like a car that's going smoothly around the track and this object is driving more erratically. So it's on the same track, but not always in the same lane. Hmm. Um, we do actually have one other Trojan, so that, that's two now. Uh, d- yeah. Does this second one have a name? It's 2020 XL5. Hmm. I feel like we could do better than that. Yeah. <laughs> right, we need to talk about body odour. <laughs> uh, 
even though I'm not in the same room, even. <laughs> so this is not actually your regular body odour or even necessarily yours, Rowan. No, <laughs> But this you. is a story about a chemical that is sometimes emitted from human skin, breath and faeces, but has no detectable smell. You wouldn't know that you were smelling it. However... Right. It appears to influence people's behaviour, seemingly making men become a bit more calm in the way they behave and women a bit more aggressive. Hmm. So does that mean it's a a human pheromone? Well, so true pheromones are chemicals that are made by animals to influence the behaviour or physiology of another member of its species. And, And there's still a big debate over whether this truly ever happens in humans. And we don't know yet if this example that we're going to talk about counts. But what we do know is that this chemical called hexadecanal does seem to facilitate some kind of communication between people on a, a subconscious level. Well, yeah, so... we. You know, obviously we're smelling our partners and our children and people all the time. And it reminds me of that story um, from a few years ago. How uh, uh, This is amazing how people sniff their hands after you shake hands with someone. They put cameras in a room and they had people shake hands with the researcher and then the researcher left. And the cameras showed then the person sniffing their hand afterwards because, you know, you can derive information from each other through the chemicals that you secrete. Yes, this was an amazing story. The people had no idea they were doing it. They just sort of surreptitiously, subconsciously, whenever they shook hands with someone, had a, had a bit of a whiff of their yeah. fingers afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and um, the researchers were saying that when they were going through the video and scoring it afterwards, they said that the people sniff themselves like rats and, they, <laughs> and we just don't realise what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. So this study strengthens the notion that humans do communicate or derive some kind of message from volatile chemicals. And so uh, this particular study looked at this chemical called hexadecanol. Now, in mice, we know that this chemical acts as a, a it's sort of described as a social buffer. So it, it reduces stress. But we, we there was already evidence that in humans, it triggers brain activity differently between men and women, although we didn't know much more than that exactly how until now. Okay, so what what have they done? So the researchers had people play an online economics game and half of the participants uh, sniffed clove oil prior to playing and half of the participants sniffed clove oil that had also been mixed with this hexadecanal, which doesn't have its own um, sort of conscious scent. Now, the researchers were cunning and they, they rigged the game to make it unfair and they gave participants the opportunity to blast their opponents with varying levels of explosive sound. So it's a bit of an unpleasant thing to do. And what they found was, was that the women who'd sniffed hexadecanal reacted more aggressively, increasing the volume of the blasting and they, right. they blasted more. But it was actually the opposite for the men who'd sniffed the hexadecanal. Um, they were less aggressive and seemed to be a bit calmer. Wow. So what is going on and what is hexadecanal? So we never heard manif- of it before. Yeah, so we manufacture it in our bodies as a byproduct of metabolic processes, but actually we don't know what's going on here or, or why. So fMRI brain scans shown that after sniffing hexadecanal, both men and women had increased activity in the parts of the brain that are associated with recognizing social cues. Uh, But we don't know why men and women reacted differently. Um, The point really is just that this is something below the threshold of conscious awareness, but it it does seem to influence the behaviour of us and and in different ways, depending on on sex. Wow, I I literally just found myself sniffing myself like like a rat. (laughs) I'd I'd just say, fascinating study, but we do know with a lot of behavioural studies, especially those involving sex or gender, um, they can be 
preliminary. So we shouldn't be too quick about applying these findings to the real world. And no. I'll be really interested to see if, if these results are, are then backed up by further studies. Okay, thank you. We'll leave it there. Thanks to our guests, Michael LePage and Claire Wilson. And thanks to you for listening. Do subscribe and spread the word about our show. And we're on Twitter at New Scientist Pod. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you again next week. Bye. 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 This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.